Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Wednesday, Gamecock fans. J.C. Sherbert here with you inside the Gamecocks podcast. Got a lot to get to here on a hump day. I hope all of you are doing well out there uh, and uh, enjoying a week where the Gamecocks are coming off a win and are heading into another big game. That's the great thing. Or one of the great things about the schedule is uh, I think there's a certain amount of anticipation for every game every week because – you know, there's no cupcakes coming in or anything like that. You know, you got to you play Auburn, you beat Auburn, you got to turn right around and play LSU, and then you got to turn right around after an open date and play Texas A&M, and then you got to go to Ole Miss, and then Missouri, and then Georgia, then Kentucky. So it's uh, it, it's never going to be easy <laughs> with this kind of setup this year. Uh, but the Gamecocks are making a good account of themselves right now, um, two and two on the season. Um, I think it's critical when we're talking about the uh, the postseason prospects or, or, you know, people ask me all the time, well, what, how can we consider this, the program heading in the right direction? I, I, and I said, I think a 500 record would do it. Uh, I think it, it's, it, it, it's critical that the Gamecocks are three and three going to Oxford. Um, you don't want to lose the momentum you've had the last two weeks with two losses and then go two and four and go out there with uh, the Rebels looking to hang an L on you too. Uh, so I, I think that's that's a critical. They, they need to split one of these two games. Now, that's tough when you think about it, you know, theoretically. Well, it's LSU and Texas A&M. I mean, that's, that's not easy. Uh, but this year, when you kind of look at the matchups, you know, and, and I think A&M's getting a lot better. Um, I, I, I look at this LSU team, and this is just not – the same. I mean, it's not even close to the team before the last team, you know, where, where they, I think they won nine games and won the Fiesta Bowl. Maybe they won 10. Uh, I just, I just look at it and it, it's a group that, you know, it, it's a lot like, you know, some of the other teams around the league this year where, you know, they're capable of putting up points, uh, but they're not that good on defense, uh, at least not, not right now. They're susceptible to, big plays, passing, uh, that type of thing. And, and then you have the quarterback situation uh, going in. Uh, it's a night game in Baton Rouge, 7 p.m. kickoff Eastern time on ESPN. Uh, that's always tough to go down there and play at night, uh, no matter how many fans are in the stands. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I thought that the atmosphere, just from watching it on TV, I watched the Mississippi State game. They haven't had a home game since then. Uh, it was okay. You know, it's definitely – and Steve Spurrier, Jr., who's the receivers coach at Mississippi State now, actually said, well, it wasn't like going down there normally, you know, as far as that goes. Day game plus COVID equals not as intimidating of a place to play. Uh, But but I can guarantee you it's still going to be pretty intimidating. It's LSU. You see the LSU and the Tiger on the side of the helmet. It's That's a team that – you know, Carolina had had very much success with the, the first two meetings between these two teams in the SEC uh, came back in the 90s. And Brad Scott actually was pretty successful uh, against LSU. 94, they went down there and won 18-17. That's the only time Carolina's beaten them in Baton Rouge. 95 ended in a tie, 20-20. to But then by the time, you know, they rolled back around, it was the Lou Holtz era and – the beginning of the Nick Saban era and LSU won 38-14 in Baton Rouge, 33-7 to uh, in Columbia in 0203. 07 was a, bat- a battle of top 25 teams. Uh, LSU won 28-16. I, I, thought, I thought that year LSU won, obviously won the national championship. They lost two overtime games to Kentucky and Arkansas, still won the national title. Uh, I thought that year Carolina was really doing okay just to kind of hang in the game. LSU had to call a fake punt, um, 28-16 loss down there. And then 08, uh, that's probably one where the Gamecocks had them. I was at that game. Like Carlos Thomas had a pick six. Steven Garcia was the starting quarterback in his redshirt freshman year. 
Um, close, but no cigar as the Tigers won, you know, 24 to 17, sort of, sort of going away. Um, 2012, we all know what happened there. The Gamecocks lost 23 to 21. Um, that was a tough one. Uh, Gamecocks probably outplayed them for a time in that ball game and then ended up losing it. And then I told you the story about my brother showing up for that one. So that was interesting. Uh, Gamecocks and Tigers played again in 2015. Uh, that game got moved to Baton Rouge and LSU won 45, 24. Uh, and here we are in 2020. Um, that was Steve Spurrier's actually his last game. He coached at South Carolina was that game that got moved to Baton Rouge, not in Columbia. So game pass hadn't played him in Columbia in 12 years. And it's going to be another few years before LSU comes up to South Carolina. But, uh, you know, the point of all this is, you know, one, two, three, six straight losses to the Tigers, six, one, and one. If I'm missing one, I apologize. I'm just kind of sketching it out. Um, and so another long losing streak, you know, because they've lost six in a row, the Gamecocks have, to LSU. Uh, this is the first time Ed Orgeron's coached against South Carolina uh, and the first time Will Muschamp uh, has coached for South Carolina uh, against the LSU Tigers. Um, and so that's a, kind of a new meeting. Uh, Gamecocks avoided Coach O uh, when um, the uh, he was the head coach at Ole Miss. Gamecocks didn't have to play them. And then uh, with Will Muschamp, it um, they did play. And I know he lost his last game there. I don't know what what his record was. Let me look. His record against LSU was one and three at Florida. Uh, they got beat pretty good down in Baton Rouge, 41 to 11 in 2011. That 2012 team, I remember watching that game because that game happened. Florida LSU happened the same day that Carolina beat Georgia, 35 to 7, October 6, 2012. Florida won that game, 14 to 6. Mike Gillisley, I think, carried it like 35 times. Um, down in Baton Rouge the next year was a 17 to 6 game, kind of a defensive struggle, uh, and then it, kind of a tough loss. Uh, for the Gators in Muschamp's last uh, uh, coaching experience against the Tigers, 30-27 to 27 is a game Florida probably should have had. In fact, Will Muschamp said, said as much, you know, after the season, they asked him what game he wished he had back. He said LSU. Amazingly, not South Carolina because that was a more improbable loss for the Gators that year. Um, this one sets up to me kind of like, uh, and I'll tell you a personal story here. I was – working as the sports editor of the Gainesville Times in Gainesville, Georgia, not Florida, Gainesville, Georgia. Um, this was 2002. Uh, LSU, or sorry, Georgia was in its, uh, it was the second year of the Mark Rick era, and Georgia had started clicking. And for those that remember, that was the, the year they came to Columbia, snapped a two-game losing streak with the David Pollock play against Corey Jenkins, 13-7. They had several games that year where they, they won close ones. Um, so they're heading down to Alabama. And Alabama, I believe Coach Francione was there at the time. Uh, that was before Shula. Uh, Dennis Francione was the coach. And I remember, uh, I guess it was Pat Dooley. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Pat Dye, uh, the former Auburn coach that uh, got on Feinbaum, I guess, and said Georgia's not man enough to go in there and uh, beat Alabama. <laughs> and so Georgia went in there and won. Uh, I think 20 well, – it was a close one. I think Michael Johnson called a touch 27-25, something like that in Tuscaloosa. And, um, you know, the, the mantra was man enough. So uh, I, I think that's the question heading into this game. Carolina, are they man enough to go in there and beat LSU? Because – You've got a team in LSU that's not like they normally are. You know, South Carolina's won two in a row. Um, this is still a deficient football team with the Gamecocks, but if you just base it on body of work through three games, they're less deficient than LSU is. Um, you know, I think it just, it's, a, it's a matter of, you know, how can LSU um, fix their woes and uh, can they take advantage of a talent advantage? And, you know, you got Terrence Marshall Jr. He's their big play guy on offense, but the Gamecocks have a pretty good secondary. 
Um, they have guys that can cover him. So, you know, with a, a quarterback situation that we're going to get to here in a second, you, you got to kind of wonder um, what's going to happen as far as the uh, LSU offense this weekend. So that, this kind of reminds me of that man enough game. Um, of course, Georgia went in there and won because it, it's a you know it's it's a game where you think well the, the visiting team has a shot here, but you know it's LSU and so it's kind of hard. Um, I'll say this though: this LSU team is different um, than and they've been different. You know, last year the best offense I think one of the best offenses I've ever seen uh, in college football, and they they've kept that going. You know that they they have a new coordinator, but. But they don't – I mean, they don't have Joe Brady, but they still have Steve Ensminger, who has the playbook, who's called plays. He's a grizzled veteran. Um, and so you kind of look at it and you're like, well, you know, that's – they're still going up and down the field on people. You know, they're averaging 467 yards a game. Uh, they're throwing it all over the place. You know, you, they, you have John Emery Jr., who was a five-star running back. You got Tyrion Davis-Prince. Uh, who's a good player uh, at running back. Uh, they can run the ball. I mentioned Marshall, 21 catches, 424 yards, seven touchdowns. He's been unstoppable. Eric Gilbert is a freshman tight end, 14 for 177 and two. He's taken over kind of the, the Thaddeus Moss role for them. Um, but then you have Miles Brennan, who through three games has, has thrown for 1,112 yards, 11 touchdowns, three picks who's probably not going to play. Um, so you look at their offense, and, and LSU this year uh, is more of a throw it all over the place, go up and down the field type of team. Uh, dare I say a Big 12 style of team. Uh, and that's based through three games. Now, I think they're looking at this one going, all right, we we don't we need to kind of be smart here, <laughs> and uh, you know, with with two one of two true freshman quarterbacks, you know, we got to get our defense right. And Bo Pelini's had some trouble with that side of the ball. Um, you know, I, I think they're talented. They've got players. You know, anytime you have Derek Stingley over there, Jabril Cox, you know, those guys are good, but they hadn't played good. You know, they didn't play good against Mississippi State. Uh, they played okay against Vanderbilt, uh, but they didn't play very well against Missouri. And uh, Mississippi State and Missouri, last time I checked, are not uh, among the best in the league at this point. Um, so you, if you're the Gamecocks, you kind of got to have hope a little bit uh, for that. But this is, this is a different LSU team. I'd, I'd be surprised. Uh, I, let me back up. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they decided to go a little flashback and run it, try to run it at the Gamecocks. You know, well, we're the better teams. We're going to run it at them. Um, but so far through three games, this is this is different. This is not, you know, I think a lot of people maybe expected them not to have the air raid, throw it all over the field kind of deal uh, this year after losing Brady. But it's kind of like they've said, this is who we are and this is what we're going to do. And I don't blame them. You know, for years, the, the knock on LSU was, eh, they're sort of boring on offense. <laughs> and so I think uh, I think that's the smart thing. It's just, you know, that doesn't protect your defense when you have a new coordinator and you're trying to get your act together on that side of the ball. And, and people ask me, you know, what, what's the open date, the, the surprise open date going to do for LSU? I think it helps them defensively because defense gets beat up, worn out. They've kind of taken some haymakers this year, it gives them a chance to rest and get fired up and ready to go. Um, so you got to kind of look at that. Uh, and I think that's an advantage for them on that side of the ball. Um, you know, and I also think the Gamecocks, if you look at what Missouri did to the Tigers, um, Missouri started Connor Bezalak and, and completed 24 30 passes. A lot of short passes. Eli Drinkwitz's offense is a lot of short passes. Um, and so, the Gamecocks throw a lot of short passes. <laughs> and so that's good. Uh, I'm looking for a better game with Colin Hill. He may be on the hot spot this week, you know, because I think when you look at it, you know, go through some of these stats, um, you know, rush defense nationally, LSU is 114th. I mean, sorry, sorry. Look, don't, sorry. 
sound Canadian there. Sorry, sorry. No, um, LSU's 20th. They're giving up 114 yards per game. Gamecocks are 24th, 124.5. Now, that said, Mississippi State rushed for a grand total of nine yards. Nine uh, yards uh, against the Tigers in the first game. So, you know, you kind of look at the the the, the stats or whatever. Um, you know, Mississippi State had nine. Vanderbilt had 153. Missouri had 180. Uh, Missouri had 586 yards uh, against LSU. 180 on the ground, 406 through the air. Um, 29 of 35. Like I said, Bezalite was 24 for 50. You know, so Missouri lit them up. And so, you know, if you're Carolina, you know, you're going to try to run it. I mean, you're probably not going to be like Mississippi State and mix it up and do like kind of what you've been doing and stay on the field. Um, you know, you look at LSU's uh, rushing stats themselves. They, they had 80 against Mississippi State. Mississippi State's got a sneaky good run defense. Uh, and then they kind of abandoned the run against Missouri, 20 attempts for 49 yards. You know, they had 161 yards rushing against Vandy. So the one thing – you know, LSU has done well so far this year is getting Miles Brennan hooked up with Terrence Marshall and Eric Gilbert and the rest of the receiving core and throwing the ball, and Miles Brennan may not play. Um, and that's kind of the next thing. So it's going to be a true freshman if indeed he doesn't play. And there's a lot of indications that he won't, but, you know, who knows with these, you know, who knows. There's a lot of gamesmanship that takes place uh, with these types of things. But um, – so I went back and looked at their two true freshman quarterbacks. The first guy is Max Johnson, who's from Oconee County in Watkinsville, Georgia. That's near Athens. Um, I guess Georgia took Harrison back, or maybe he didn't want to go to Georgia or whatever. Uh, pocket passer. His dad is Brad Johnson, who played at Florida State and then played in the NFL for a number of years. Uh, I remember him with the Vikings and maybe the Redskins off the top of my head. Um, and then T.J. Finley is a big uh, Felipe Franks size guy, 6'6", 250, um, from Ponchatoula. I think that's how you pronounce it, Louisiana. Uh, in-state kid, um, you know, certainly big arm, lots of upside. So those guys, you know, they're going to have to, I mean, make their first start and play well. I, you know, I, you know, Miles Brennan's been pretty good so far for LSU this year, <coughs> excuse me, was not fired up about him uh, as a recruit or otherwise, but you know, he's kind of been the straw that stirs the drink. So you hit, you have a team in LSU that right now through three games, hadn't been able to run the ball against anybody but Vandy. Uh, and then the best thing they do is throw the ball when the quarterback's going to be out and going to start a true freshman. Uh, and you just still have Terrence Marshall and Aaron Gilbert. So, you know, LSU to win this game is going to have to play better or different or reverse the trend. Now they can, they can, uh, but it's been ugly so far for the Tigers. Uh, they're they're perfectly capable though. So I you know I, I think I think it'll probably be Johnson just because he sort of fits uh, what they do unless they're going to try to surprise the Gamecocks with a with a different game plan and run the quarterback and some things like that. Um, you know, if I were LSU, I'd, I'd, I'd try, try to line up and run it a little bit more. I, I just don't know that kind of with what they do, the the pass-happy deal with the air raid, you know, with a true freshman quarterback and, you know, against this group from South Carolina, uh, Gamecocks are, um, I think, 41st in the country in pass defense, giving up 243 yards a game. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'd do that if I were them. But it's going to be fascinating to sort of find out. Gamecocks are 27th nationally in total D, LSU 71st. LSU 16th in total offense, Gamecocks 55th. LSU's average of 467.3 yards uh, per ball game. Rush defense, uh, a rush offense, LSU 73rd, 90, you know, less than 100 yards a game, Gamecocks 162. So, you know, the LSU rush defense is 20th in the country, but they did hold Mississippi State to nine. And Missouri did get 180 on them, and Vanderbilt got 153. You know, Mississippi State, as we all know, they don't they don't like to run the ball. 
<laughs> Mississippi State's running back, though, had, I think, eight catches for 180 yards in that football game. You know, so we'll see what happens. We'll see kind of what happens with with, with all this. I think it's fascinating. Uh, Adam Prentice gets named the Offensive Player of the Week as a fullback. I'm glad to see him get a little love. I, I thought when Carolina got him, he could really be – instrumental with with kind of what the, the stuff that Mike Bobo likes to do with the different formations and leveraging for you hear about leveraging formations sometimes and he's a heck of a blocker and a hard-nosed guy you know special teams and then they throw it to him every now and then and he got him he got him a catch on Saturday so that was good um you know I I think that some folks thought that maybe Kevin Harris would be the fullback this year but I I think they probably need to leave him at tailback. I'm, you know, just a guess. So <laughs> I think that should should suffice. You know, I think his performance the first four games could probably, you know, probably going to just end up being like, well, you know, it, uh, we think we'll leave him at tailback. <laughs> Harris, by the way, is third in the SEC uh, in uh, rushing yardage. Najee Harris from Bama and Isaiah Spiller from A&M are ahead. He's a uh, Number two, tied for number two. Oh, no, he's number two in the league in rushing touchdowns, tied for eighth nationally rushing touchdowns. Uh, another thing, you know, Carolina's going to have to drive the drive down the field. You know, and, and the more they can stay on the field, the more that explosive offense for LSU is on the sidelines. Uh, one good thing, Gamecocks have fixed this. Mike Bobo's fixed this, buddy. Buddies out there. Uh, Carolina's 13 of 14 in red zone scoring this year and 11 of 14 scoring touchdowns. Gamecocks are also number one in the SEC in time of possession, number nine nationally. You know, so I think the way you can win if you're South Carolina is just kind of the way you've been playing. Stay on the field, execute, get first downs, grind it out because – nothing's going to be more frustrating for an LSU defense that's gotten torched anyway than to just be on the field and instead of giving up long plays or whatever, you're just getting, you know, first down after first down on you and you go down the red zone and you get – I mean, yeah, that's demoralizing for a D. causes the offense to press, you know. So we'll kind of see what happens. I, I, I think that just the way this game sets up, you know, for LSU to win the football game, they are going to have to play a lot better than they have. I mean, things will have to – they're going to have to reverse the trend, um, you know. And, and if you're South Carolina, you know, for you to win the football game, you're going to have to continue the trend. You know, you're going to have to continue to play good defense, continue to be good in the red zone, continue to run the ball, you know, continue to, to stay on the field, you know, and then get touchdowns when you're down there. Um, that's kind of – uh the long and short of it, because this 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 is, and, and like I said, with, with true freshmen possibly starting at quarterback, it would not surprise me to see this, you know, a different LSU offense than we've seen through three games, because I just can't imagine they're going to throw it all over the yard with either one of these guys, and you know that could that could spell disaster, quite frankly. Um, you know, I, I think they'll try to get some semblance of a run game. Well, they've struggled to run the football this year. So, Gamecocks run defense has to be good. But I, I think it's going to be a heck of a game. I think, um, you know, there's a reason LSU is favored for the guys in Vegas. But I also think, uh, you know, South Carolina with the way they play, if they execute, um, and if LSU doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't have Miles Brennan and – you know, the Gamecocks can continue to play their style and make the game their style of play or their style of football. You know, there's obviously a good chance to go get another one. And, you know, this is what you want to do. You, in, in years where Auburn's not really like Auburn is, LSU's not really like LSU is, you, you need to go win, you know. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. There, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Everybody celebrates the – the daggum 84 Gamecocks a lot. And that team was really good. But, you know, they beat a Clemson team that wasn't quite in the top ten. They beat a Georgia team that I don't think was in the top ten, maybe at the time. Uh, They beat a Notre Dame team that was obviously struggling with Gary Faust. They beat a Pitt team that wasn't as good as they normally are. 
the the team they did beat that was really good at home was Florida State. So, you know, you don't always play a great team every week. You know, the idea is to, you know, beat teams. You know, I don't think anybody's sitting there going, looking back on the, the Lou Holtz Outback Bowl wins and going, well, Ohio State wasn't that good. You know, now nah, you won. You beat them. Uh, Michigan, they were not that good when they beat them, you know, twice in the daggum Outback Bowl. This, you know, Nebraska wasn't that good. Yeah, come on. Clemson wasn't that good. Yeah, come on. Uh, you want to beat the as many of these named teams as you possibly can when you can do it, and and that's uh, that's the bottom line. And I don't know that Carolina's going to do it. I mean, I you know I, I look at this game and you look at the the cold hard facts about these teams, and you're like, well, South Carolina should win the football game, but and and LSU is going to have to play different, uh, better, i.e., better to win it. But you just, you know, you just kind of wonder. It's it's down there. It's LSU. They got players, you know. So that's the that's the deal there. But I I, I do think this is another great opportunity for South Carolina uh, to to get another win. I think it's very important for the game guys to at least be three and three heading to Oxford. Uh, you can win this. Go into the open date with serious momentum. Get ready for A and M uh, to come in, who you also struggled against. And, uh, you know, maybe you get a win in Columbia and then you go to, I mean, you know, anything can happen. Um, and I think it'll be better for the Gamecocks to get the win this weekend. And then if A&M comes in and wins, A&M's playing good football right now. I mean, they, they're, they were a struggling bunch the first two weeks of the season, but now they're better. Uh, A&M's playing good football. There's no shame in that. And then, you know, you're still three and three heading to Oxford. But, uh, you know, it's another opportunity for South Carolina this weekend to get a win. All right. Mailbag time. Okay. We got breaking news, breaking, breaking news. Jalen Brooks has been cleared. I repeat, Jalen Brooks has been cleared to play for the Gamecocks. I just saw it on Twitter. They did a nice little, uh, nice little video on it. And um, he's cleared. So, hey, here we go. Gamecocks get a, uh, a good piece of news right now. Good piece of news. Um, and I just jumped on Twitter to read the mailbag. So, Jalen Brooks being eligible now, yeah, that's a good thing. Because, like I said, LSU, LSU's giving up some points or some, and some passes. Uh, this helps. This gives Carolina another option out there uh, in the passing game at wide receiver. Um He's had a really good preseason. I don't know how much he's really been practicing, but he's been, um, you know, he, the, everybody likes him, and he certainly certainly is a guy I, can, I think can make a difference, and this is a good week to get him back. How about that? So here we go. All right, so there's two ways to get in on the mailbag. One is to tweet to at the Big Spur Pod, and the other way is to email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, and we're jammed with questions yet again. Uh, here in the uh, the what have you. Now, there's one more piece of news. Yeah, so South Carolina is not in the Big 12 SEC Challenge this year, so that does not affect the Gamecocks. I clicked on that. Um, Randy Watson said, given Horn's performance against Seth Williams against LSU, do you see – or against Auburn, do you see LSU going at him in a similar way with Marshall? Playing a backup quarterback might limit their options, but either way, getting Marshall the ball is a big key to their success. I think they're going to try to line Marshall up all over. What I would do if I were them is line him up all over the place. If Horn follows him, that's fine. Uh, but, it, but obviously, a big part of their offense is getting Marshall the ball. Carolina's other DBs, if it had come becomes a one-on-one matchup with Horn, um, I think uh, – you know, I, I think what Carolina's got to be aware of is, is LSU does have other receiving options that are good, especially Eric Gilbert. So you got to be careful there. But yeah, I would, you know, JC Horn on Terrence Marshall. I mean, I, I don't know that he's going to shut Marshall down like he did Williams, because I think, I think Marshall's better than Williams. But, uh, you know, you still got a good shot <laughs> there. 
So here we go. Uh, so Luther, Preacher Man LT says, what is the deal with Luke Doty? I may be wrong, but I thought he was highly recruited. And now Hill, next year, question mark. And then Gunnar Stockton comes in. What happens to him? Well, uh, you got look, Luke Doty's a true freshman. So, you know, he's playing some receiver a little bit. He's getting ready at quarterback. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know that there's anything wrong with him. I, I think, you know, it, it remains to be seen um, if Gunnar Stockton can come in when Luke Doty, when he, when he does, uh, whenever that may be, and, uh, and beat Luke Doty out. I mean, they're, they're really kind of similar. I know Stockton has more stars, but they're really kind of similar. So, you know, I don't think anything's wrong with him. I would have liked to have seen him play a little more receiver, to be honest, because that I think he's a good athlete and he's a guy that they could they could you know use. But you know, now that now that Jalen Brooks is eligible, maybe not. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, nothing's wrong with Luke. He's still working hard. I have a feeling. If something happened to Colin Hill, that you'd probably see Ryan and Luke, if that makes sense. Just a gut feeling on that. All right, Jordan says, appreciate the congrats. Yep, congrats to Jordan. He's got a picture of his lovely bride and his family on his Twitter. He's a family man. That's what it's all about. We do have a little Gamecock on the way, the weekend of the UGA game. Congratulations. That's going to be a big weekend for you, man. Uh, Given that Gunner Stockton will be 18 years old in the spring. There's some talk he may enroll early. If he'll kill, if he'll goes pro and Gunner Stockton comes to campus, who's the favorite to start on 2021. Also Archer is fantastic. Yeah. I enjoyed watching Archer yesterday. Um, I'm going to say it's Luke Doty. Uh, if he'll goes pro and Gunner Stockton comes in early. And, I, and I'm going to say that to say that you can't rule Stockton out. Winning the job, but but I'm going to say Luke Doty. Luke Doty will be ahead. And if you notice that this system, you have to you have to know the system. You know, you, you can't just go out and Mike Bobo though through his career has started freshman quarterbacks. I mean, it, it just kind of depends. But I'd say it would be Luke Doty. That's nothing against Ryan Holinsky. Maybe it's Holinsky. Maybe maybe Ryan continues to get that much better. But. um I would uh, right now on under that scenario, I'd say even with Stockton coming in, uh, I, I like Luke Doty's chances for it. All right, so those are the tweets, and uh, really like the tweets. Really like it when you guys tweet. Please, please follow at the Big Spur Pod too. By the way, if you're not following at the Big Spur Pod, please follow the Big Spur Pod. All right, now it's time to go to the inbox, and this is this is we get more mailbags on the inbox again uh this is not a live radio show so if you're just tuning in <laughs> jalen brooks has been cleared <laughs> that's that's not gonna happen but uh that's good news for carolina jalen brooks is gonna be a pretty good player uh, for carolina this year don't want to like say he's gonna be the difference in the game saturday or anything but uh, i think he obviously helps a position where they need help and he's really but really been good in practice all right noah frequent emailer to the podcast noah says jc hope you're doing well living in north carolina it's great to hear good things about the gamecocks not the tar heels for a change well tar heels took an l this past weekend matt brown i bet he hates florida matt brown went to florida state matt brown is an alum of florida state university just can't beat his alma mater can he goodness gracious I'm new to the world of recruiting, Noah says. So my question is, what is a real, realistic expectation for South Carolina's 2022 class if Carolina finishes the season six and five or even seven and four? I think if Carolina can get back to a bowl, reestablish positive momentum, and then they can start getting players on campus to visit, that's the important thing. Or coaches can go visit. You know, that, that's the thing. There's no in-person thing. And when everybody's on Zoom, you can do about as well as you can but that favors schools with better brands because the whole your whole knowledge of a football program is based on what you see on the internet. And South Carolina gives a great presentation and they've done virtual tours and all this other stuff. But man, it's just different. It's just different. These guys, 
the recruiting battles they've won have been because they build great relationships with players. Look at Jordan Birch. You know, Jordan Birch didn't head off to play for the defending national title champions because, you know, Carolina went four and eight last year. He had the relationships in place with the South Carolina staff to where, you know, it happened. And I hope to see Jordan on the field against LSU on Saturday. I think, you know, he is going to get to play at Death Valley, uh, Death Valley, Louisiana on a Saturday night. I don't want to, I'm sure there's probably less Clemson people that listen to this podcast than before because, you know, Carolina doesn't play Clemson. It's like Clemson's like this year for South Carolina, and I'm sure it's vice versa. Clemson's like in a different universe. I mean, I, I don't. I see very few people talking about them, um, and, and that's because they're not. You don't play them. You don't have to worry about them. Um, but I don't want to be insulting, and you know, there's only one Death Valley. That's in Baton Rouge. Well, the problem with that, and I'm going to go off on a side note here is that it's not really in a valley, you know? Uh, Death Valley, Baton Rouge, I mean, it looks like a valley when you're in there because it's a steep stadium, but it's not in a hole like Clemson's. It's not really a valley. But I'll give them both equal love with Death Valley. But anyway, Hope Birch does that. To answer, to wrap a bow on your question, Noah, uh, if they do turn it around, and I think I think you can get close to the top ten with a 2022 class, uh, the problem is going to be, and I just mentioned this team, but when you're talking about the 2022 class in state, you know, three of the top guys are in the upstate, in Greenville County, Malden, Greenville High, and Greer. Clemson's offered all of them. So that's that's tough because, you know, there's usually not that many guys in Greenville, and Clemson, that's kind of their major town. Um and there'll be a lot of momentum for those guys to go to Clemson. I can assure you that, you know, but you still got the receiver from Myrtle Beach. You got to battle Clemson for him. Um, I also think Adam, I think Randall is his name. And there'll be some other guys pop up around the state. And then with Stockton, I think, you know, you can, you know, and look, if he enrolled early, if he enrolls early, you're not going to have that advantage. But, you know, with Stockton there, if he waits, waits it out to 2022, I think there's some guys you can get. So I think he can get close to top 10, provided Stockton does not enroll early, which that's just a rumor at this point. All right. So mailbox, that's the title of this email. JC, keep up the great work. My question is a little off topic, but who on the football team can you see entering the draft or going pro after this season? Isaiah. Well, this is an interesting topic because everybody even the seniors they're going to have to make a decision um because the seniors get you know they, they get to come back if they want Kier thomas could come back if he wants um so off the top of my head i'd say sedarius hutcherson's definitely gone and needs to go uh he needs to go because he's a good player and uh i think he could be a high High draft pick in terms of interior offensive line. J.C. Horn probably needs to go. Uh, and he's a junior, so he'll be a little younger. It's funny, J.C. Horn has has three years' worth of eligibility left if he wants it. Isn't that interesting? Will Izzy Mukwamu go? I, I don't know that he should, but I think he will. That makes sense. Um, you know, as far as a guy that's a, that's eligible – uh, you know, who else is there? You know, would J.J. Enigbare go pro? I don't know. You know, maybe not. Maybe he comes back for, for another year. Uh, maybe Aaron Sterling comes back for another year because I, I don't know that he's a draft guy. Um, Adam Prentice, is he going, you know, would he go or come, or come back? Um, you know, Colin Hill is, is another guy. I think if he makes it through the season, he will go. I don't know if he'll be drafted or not. I know the pros like him. They like his stuff. Uh, so we'll see. But I think just because of the three ACLs, you know, if he makes it through this season, I think he's going to rock and roll. So, um, you know, so that's the deal there. Isaiah, thanks for your email. Uh, again, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com if you want to get in. Um, okay, Phil says, hey, JC, an awesome and much needed win for our program this past weekend. I believe Auburn is better than most people give them credit for. And our guys just stepped up when they needed to. Yeah, I, I, look, I think Auburn's got a good team. I, 
I think their problem is they hired Chad Morris as their offensive coordinator, and people didn't realize the subtle differences between Morris and Malzahn, you know, make that thing a little little off kilter right now. This team seems to have a little bit of swagger, more swagger than teams in the past. I agree, and with guys like J.C. Horn stepping up and making plays, I think it. I think I think that's good. Maybe it's just the two wins in a row, but let's hope to build off that and keep it going. My question for you is, where does Izzy fit in on the defense? I know he didn't play Saturday, but the defense looked the part without him anyway. Dixon did a fantastic job along with Shiloh. They bring much-needed energy to the secondary. Izzy's still a great player, but besides the Georgia game last year, he hasn't had many good ones. Maybe safety needs to be his main position, leave Dixon in at the other corner. Also, hope he gets healthy soon. We need him regardless. Your thoughts? Keep up the great work and go Cox. Phil, Phil, uh, you know, I think Izzy's going to be a utility player for the secondary. He could very well start uh, at corner, switch over to safety when they bring Dixon in, play the nickel. Um, I think he's still got a spot. Uh, you know, the, the injury thing, is, it's a little concerning. Um, and the fact that he hadn't had a lot of big games, you know, is a little concerning. You know, he had one big game. Um, so, so we'll see kind of what happens. But I agree with you. I think that, uh, you know, when they got Dixon out there and then either Shiloh or Jalen Dickerson at safety along with Robinson and, you know, you got Horn at the other corner, there, there's a different kind of energy. Uh, and that's just so far. So maybe that's not always going to be the case, but so far that that is the case, especially Jalen Dickerson and, and Shiloh out there. I think Shiloh uh, really – he really impressed me, surprised me this past weekend. So we'll see. And I think that's a good question. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people will sit there and scream and tell you Izzy needs to be a safety full-time. I don't know that I'm down with that either. Cause I think it's safety. He's got some issues too. I think he's more of a utility guy. You play him here, some there, some let him roam and do what he's good enough to do. Um, somebody on the big spur said maybe he should be a receiver. And I, I don't think I'm against that. So I, I wouldn't have been against that when he, they did it. But, you know, at the time, it looked like Carolina had some receivers. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But that's a good question, Phil, and we'll see what, what, what transpires with Mukwamu this weekend. Dre says, hey, JC, hope all is well with you and your loved ones. I just wanted to run a quick rapid-fire session by you as I greatly enjoy your outlook on the team. Thanks, Dre. With Jaheim Bell being cleared, do you think he will – work his way onto the field this season. I think it may take some time, but but I think he could. You know, right now they're, they're not – every now and then they'll try like the other tight end kind of deal uh, with Mullins or whoever. Uh, but right now, you know, they're, they're – you know, it, those aren't plays they're going to a lot. Now they have them, you know, so I think it depends on how he does in practice. I don't – you know, I – I think if he's ready to go, he's ready to go. You know, there's no saving anybody for a red shirt this year because everybody gets a red shirt. Um, but he's he missed so much time, Dre, that, you know, he probably, you know, he probably needs a little bit longer than we think. Uh, the next question from Dre, why with Shiloh emerging in the secondary, do you think he'll push to try to get on the baseball team again? Not this year because there's no spot for him on the baseball team. The baseball team, because of COVID and the recruiting class they got, they're loaded. They're The problem is with this year's baseball team is, yes, South Carolina is loaded, but everybody else got their players back too. And so the whole SEC is going to be loaded. But there's just not the roster space for him. Um, I hope that doesn't end up being something that causes hard feelings with his football career because I, I think when you look at where he's come from to where he's at now in that short amount of time in football, it's impressive. And I, I think the guy could end up being, you know, at least a multi-year starter uh, in the SEC and late-round draft pick, but I, he could be better than that too. So we'll see. Lastly, what's the word, if any, on Eric Shaw? Eric Shaw's practicing. They like him. He's skinny. It's it's tough, you know, but but he could be a guy that ends up playing at some point uh, this year uh, in certain situations. But he's, uh, you know, he got healthier quicker than Bell did, and then they really like him. He, you know, he he he's not scared to go in there and block and play physical or anything like that. He's just he's got a bigger. He's like 190 pounds. So we'll see. And Dre says, thanks, and spurs up. 
Same to you, my man. So thank you, Dre. Appreciate that uh, email. John Curtis says, JC, I appreciate what you do. I like the podcast. It's a breath of fresh air to hear some Gamecock talk while living in North Carolina who are all ACC folks. Yeah, you know, those Wake Forest and Duke people up there talking football all the time. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, North Carolina is a good state, beautiful state. All my friends that live up there tend to like it, Charlotte, the Triangle. My granola-eating friends that live in Asheville. (laughs) I met somebody the other day in Illinois that was like, you know, we're moving to Asheville, North Carolina. And I'm like, ooh. It's like, have you checked out? You know, because this this guy's not like a, you know, know, hippie kind of guy. You know, he's just not kind of – doesn't fit the Asheville vibe. He's kind of straight-laced. I'm like – He's like, yeah, it's just beautiful there, all the mountains and stuff. So you ever been to downtown Asheville? It's <laughs> like, you know, man, I was like, you're going to have to, you know, grow your hair out a little bit and <laughs> stuff like that. But uh, anyway, all over North Carolina, it's a, it's a good deal. I've loved the Gamecocks my whole life and lived in Columbia. Yeah, me too. I've Columbia, Myrtle Beach, Spartanburg, Greenville, and the places in South Carolina I've lived. Gainesville, outside of Atlanta, Atlanta. Live part time in Chicago now, and lived uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, for seven years. So I lived all. Of, uh, I'm I'm satisfied with where I've lived, but I uh, really enjoyed my years in Columbia, where I was in college. I think everybody did. It's different when you're an adult in Columbia, but uh, college, I loved it. All right, so I got off topic there. All right, John. Uh, he says I'm looking ahead here, but in your opinion, what would a two and one or three and zero stretch against Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M do for the program? Those are three blue bloods who have three wins against combined historically. If we went three and zero against them this year, would be a massive shift in opinion as my champ builds this program. Do you think this Carolina team could do it? Yeah, and I'll say this: they can do it, and that would be great because that's rare. And I think sometimes when you're trying to win a fan base back, if you do something that hadn't been done, they kind of like it. I will say this, that doesn't erase the losses to Tennessee and Florida, but you know, it, it's more like a disappointment because you got, you know, you feel like you lost ground in the division than something that's like, okay, you got to change coaches. Um, and Tennessee game, especially is looking like an upset. I mean, they, what can you say? Carolina kind of gave them that game. And, uh, I don't know that if, if Carolina does finish three, and zero in this stretch, uh, that Tennessee is going to finish ahead of Carolina in the division. I think, you know, Florida, depending on how it shakes out, probably will. Um, but, you know, and I, and I think Georgia's got to find a way to score more points against some uh, explosive offense like Florida's. But, you know, I, I don't know that division standings-wise, even with the win over Carolina, Tennessee will finish up there if the Gamecocks do go 3-0. and in the stretch. I think two and one is needed because I think, I think you want to be at least, you want to be three and three going to Oxford, not two and four. Um, And yeah, I think they can do it. You know, I just went through, you know, statistically, like I said, LSU is going to have to play completely different and much better. Um, If they just play like they've been playing and Carolina plays like they've been playing, I, I think Carolina would win the game just based on what's happened so far this year. John, thanks for the email. Certainly appreciate it. Eric says, man, it's been nice being able to celebrate a win this week. I don't know if I just have all my garnet colored glasses, but for the first time in a long time, I have hope and dare I say a little bit of belief in Muschamp. I know the season needs to play out, but I just feel like with Bobo and the promise the offense has shown, and don't forget, you got Jalen Brooks back now, that he might be able to get this thing heading in the right direction. Something just feels different. I believe we're going to get the W this week, keep the positive momentum going. I think we move the ball just like we've done all year and keep the LSU offense off the field. What are your thoughts? If Carolina does that, like I said, stays on the field, keeps the LSU offense off the field, I think there's a great chance Carolina wins a football game. You know, I, I, It's hard for me to say just because I'm like, surely LSU cannot. I mean, and look, I was the one in the preseason that was singing from the mountaintops that – Everybody just thinking LSU is a top five team because of their recruiting rankings. They're not living in reality because you lose 36 guys. You only have 85. You lose 36 guys, 36. You only have 85. Both coordinators 
You, you had guys opting out left and right. You know, they don't like the new defensive court. I mean, turmoil off the field. You know, I'm like, how can a you know, if they survive this, Ed Orgeron needs to be the coach of the year again for the second year in a row. And so I haven't been a big believer in LSU for a while now. Now, that said, it's South Carolina and LSU. I lived through the 2000 South Carolina football season where Alabama went three and eight. The Gamecocks went eight and four, went to the Outback Bowl, big win over Ohio State. Turnaround year under Lou Holtz. Drove all the way to Tuscaloosa for that game, and Alabama won 27-17. Can I, Eric Kimry started that game at quarterback. You can ask him about that ball game. So, you know, you've lived through things like that. You've lived through the, the Tennessee Volunteers, which were not good. In a lot of those years, they beat Carolina under Spurrier, you know, especially 2013. You know, you've lived through the the teams with the names, you know, beating South Carolina. And a lot of that comes down to belief, you know. They, they think, well, we should be – you know, it's like South Carolina people are like, well, we should beat Kentucky, no matter how good Kentucky is. So, that's just kind of how it is. So, so, that part of me goes – and I'm also like, they had a week off last week. You know, surely they're not going to come out and try to run the air raid with two true freshman quarterbacks – and then you don't know, you know, maybe Max Johnson, who's the son of a former NFL player, has ice water in his veins and comes out and executes, and they still go up and down the field. I mean, you know, there's just a lot of ifs. But when you just base it on what the two teams have done so far, South Carolina should win the game. We can only hope. We can only hope. I enjoy doing the podcast and the site after a win more so than a loss and, you know, so, yeah, uh, I don't enjoy the win like I used to, but uh, I uh, enjoy – I get more relieved more than anything. So, we'll see. All right, that's all the time we have for today on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Uh, please continue to rate the podcast five stars on Apple Pods and write a review if you have time. Uh, I appreciate all that. We're trucking towards 1,000. We'll get 1,000 by the end of the season. The podcast is still ranked very, very high. I think it's the number one podcast that just focuses on the Gamecocks uh, out there in the college football category. Also going to be recording a JC and Morgan podcast later today. So we'll talk about college football and kind of the big picture of everything. Uh, also, as is always the case on Wednesdays, you got the JB and Goldwater show, uh, 1130 streaming on Twitter, uh, streaming online. Uh, you know, you can get it on Twitter, YouTube, uh, I, I'm on for about an hour with those guys and always enjoy that. It's always kind of a funny segment. You get to hear more of my little jokes and quirkiness. So we'll see. Uh, but don't forget those things. And uh, don't forget to join the big VIP memberships are a dollar. I think it's a dollar to join now. And that way you can interact with me and Tony Morrell and John Whittle and all the Gamecock insiders on a daily basis. Hell, McGranahan, John Del Bianco, Kerry Rich, all those guys. All right. I will be back tomorrow with the Thursday episode of the Inside the Gamecast podcast. Until then, you guys be good. We'll holla at you soon.